0: Well, good morning, everybody. Six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. We have uh, lots to get to this morning. Some upsets in the women's NCAA tournament as the brackets on both the men's and women's sides continue. (laughs) to uh, just be absolute messes. Uh, Number one, Indiana loses last night in the women's tournament. We'll talk about all that coming up in a bit. Um, Wanted to start the show this morning with a couple of, uh, they're they're sports related, but a couple of uh, uh, things that uh, are a little disturbing. And and yesterday, the news came down that St. Francis College uh, in Brooklyn, New York, uh, it's a small Division One school. It is in the same conference that Fairleigh Dickinson University is in. It's in the Northeast Conference, uh, a conference that I worked in for 10 years um, at Sacred Heart University and Central Connecticut State University. It's a mid-major conference. It's not like, you know, it doesn't have the, the gravitas, et cetera, et cetera, of, um, you know, like the Big Ten or the ACC or the Big East or anything like that. But it is a school – uh, or a conference with a lot of smaller division 1 schools uh, with smaller resources and you know they get automatic bids to the NCAA basketball tournament baseball tournament you know it, it, just like every other conference and you can make the case that it means more to kids in that conference i know it sounds silly right um, because all kids are excited when they when they get into a conference tournament or or meet to a uh, well, to the conference tournament but as well as to the uh, national tournaments, but for kids in the Northeast Conference, it is everything. Ninety-nine percent of those kids are not going to play pro. Maybe more than ninety-nine, ninety-nine point nine percent. You know, there's a, you know, when I was there, there were a, a couple of kids that uh, you know made uh, professional baseball. That you know, they played in the minors. There's a couple that have played in the major leagues. Um, but you don't see kids from that conference generally playing pro football. There are a handful. You don't see them playing pro basketball, et cetera, et cetera, other than like you know going over to play in Europe. So you can make the case that making the NCA tournament is a highlight. These kids at Fairleigh Dickinson, there are a few of them that may go on to play professionally in Europe, something like that. But that NCA tournament game beating Purdue is the highlight of their lives. And St. Francis is a school that is a founding member of the Northeast Conference. It has been around in the sports scene in New York City forever. I mean, you know, since the 1800s. And to have them just pull the plug on all their their sports is, is sad. And, you know, look... The school put out a press release and said, hey, look, um, you know, that there are challenges facing higher education, especially small liberal arts colleges in the Northeast, which is what St. Francis is. And they said, look, we're not immune. Among those are increased operating expenses, flattening revenue streams and, and plateauing enrollment due to a shrinking pool of high school graduates in the aftermath of the pandemic. All true. And uh, Irma Garcia, who I know, and I know this had to kill her because she is such. I, I always liked Irma. And there was nobody more passionate about what she did and about those student athletes than Irma Garcia was. And she made it, she had to put a statement out yesterday that said she was heartbroken. And I have no doubt that that is the case. And she, but in her statement, she said, look, uh, the COVID pandemic left an indelible impact on St. Francis. And as a result, Terrier Athletics, um, you know, our department has been committed to, you know, uh, to providing an opportunity to compete at Division One level, dating back to the oldest men's basketball program in New York City. And that is the truth. To the introduction of men's volleyball and women's soccer in 2019. And St. Francis has said they're going to honor all current academic and athletic scholarships for athletes if they continue to stay at St. Francis. I'm sure some will transfer to try to continue their athletic careers elsewhere. But this is—it's a sad moment. And look, they, did they have the greatest facilities in the world? No. I mean, their gym was very old, but there was a—I um, guess—a charm. To it, You know, I guess that's how I would put it. There, there was a charm to playing there because it was so old and you knew about the history. You know what I mean? Um, so that's – it's it's sad that that's going to be taken away from the Northeast Conference. And, you know, uh, the NEC Commissioner Noreen Morris – I also know, she came on as the uh, NEC commissioner a few years before I left. Um, and she said, look, you know, coming off a week that's been the rallying cry for the Northeast Conference, I mean, all the great news about everything that Fairleigh Dickinson had done, that it was a bittersweet day, you know, and, and uh, it's really hard um, for them. And she said that they have, you know, they're as a founding member or a charter member, they're tightly woven into the fabric of the conference. True. They've added some new uh, members in the last couple of years, so they will go on. It's not going to crush the conference, but I feel badly for those kids at St. Francis. I feel badly for the Northeast Conference, and it's just sad. And look, this could happen at other schools. If not now, in the next several years, it could happen. We, We have heard about other schools dropping sports. It is an issue. There's no question about that. The enrollment is going to continue to drop. the the uh, The competition for students now is crazy because of the declining enrollment. Hell, I've been working. I, I worked in college athletics for twenty five years. We were talking about the conter- concern about enrollment back in the nineties, into the th- you know into the two thousands. Because you look at the projection of, you know, the people that are having kids and, you know, uh, and now with the student loan debt and the amount of money it costs to get a college education, it makes it harder and harder and harder, especially for private schools. Uh, You know, I I had I remember having a long conversation with my youngest daughter uh, when she was getting ready to go to college. About whether to go to a state school or whether to go to a private school that she wanted to go to, um, and I suggested to her, "Hey, you know, you might want to look at a state school because the the amount of money that you will pay is, you know, in some cases a quarter of what you would pay, at least half of what you would pay at a private college, and." She determined she wanted to go to the private college, so she took out student loans et cetera et cetera and uh she is now saddled with a student loan debt of in you know a lot it's what you know and and so private schools as kids decide to you know as as kids start looking at this and they start looking more and more at the whole student loan debt thing, it's gonna be harder and small schools like Saint Francis there's more of them that are going to come. So it's, you know, this may be the tip of the iceberg. I, I hope not, but I get it. Um, but I'm, I'm just sad for St. Francis uh, a school that, uh, that I went to many times and I'm sad for Irma Garcia and I'm sad for the Northeast conference. Uh, the other thing I wanted to get to this morning, there was a, a column this morning in the Boston globe by Dan Shaughnessy. Now, I want to be up front in saying that uh, I think Dan Shaughnessy is a very good writer. But to say I don't agree with Dan Dan Shaughnessy on a lot of things would be an understatement. You know, uh, some of his takes are a little out of left field. He's a little bit too cynical for me sometimes. Um, But when I read this column this morning, it was like this guy had been reading my mind. And I've talked about it here on the air many times about the pervasive gambling that has suddenly hit this country, sports gambling, with, with state after state after state legalizing sports betting, it has gotten way out of hand. The opening sentence to his column this morning, please make it stop. I can't take it anymore. And he said, you know, he said he looks every time he watches television, he's watching a sporting event. Almost every damn commercial of every game is about gambling, DraftKings, FanDuel, MGM. And you look at these commercials and they make it look like hey. You, too, can become rich. You know what I mean? You know, nobody, they don't show anybody losing money. Everybody is making a fortune. And, look, we've seen this for years for casinos. It's not just sports betting. Don't get me wrong. You know, for Foxwoods and and uh, 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 Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, you know, or in Atlantic City, you know, they show people in a, in a casino, you know, playing blackjack or roulette or whatever. Everybody's a winner. Everybody's a winner. And the problem now is that, you know, here's the thing. When you get hooked up with these people, this isn't like the old days now where, you know, you you saw some bookie on the street corner. You don't have to worry about them, like, breaking your knuckles if you don't pay your bets because you have to give them your bank account information to bet to begin with. You know, just think. It's, It's only a matter of time. And Dan mentioned this this morning. He was a little bit more cynical in the way he he phrased it. But just think about, you know, how long it's going to take before we start reading stories about guys that, you know, are hanging out and getting excited about placing a bet and they lose the bet. And they just got paid, so they don't worry about it. And next thing you know, they've lost their entire paycheck as they try to make up the money that they lost on that first bet. It's just a matter of time, you know. And and you know, and, and as Dan says, every one of these ads always has a little disclaimer disclaimer about you know, if you have a gambling problem, call eight hundred whatever. You know, uh, good for them. But at the root of the the problem here is the gambling to begin with. It is just like a drug. These guys are no different. FanDuel, DraftKings, MGM, they are no different than somebody selling crack on a street corner in your town. It is the same thing. And now we have all the sports leagues in bed with these people, all of them. We have the networks all in bed with them. Jesus Nesson, the New England Sports Network, which is the uh, uh, regional sports network owned by, by the way, John Henry uh, as uh, the owner of the Red Sox. Almost all of their programming outside of, the, you know, the Bruins and the Red Sox is some kind of uh, a gambling show. Dan Shaughnessy said he, he – he, Watched some show. It was called Follow the Money. And he said he listened to two guys, you know, agonizing over every second of the, of all the NCAA tournament games, and then getting all over the network announcers for not calling attention to how the fi- how these random plays affected the point spreads and betting lines. So now they expect the announcers to talk about the betting line. And how it's affecting gamblers while they're calling the game. Now, I've probably called a thousand games on the radio in my life. And, and you know, probably a hundred on television. The day they had told me that I needed to start talking about gambling, that would have been the day I gave up broadcasting games. And look, I am not a prude. I am not anti-gambling. If you want to go to Vegas and gamble your hard-earned money away, God bless you. The problem is that they have made it so easy now for the casual person to just pick up their phone and make a bet on a gambling app It's just like they have now, it's, it's like they've put crack on the shelves at the grocery store. And when we have sports leagues getting into bed with this and we have networks getting into bed with this, it is asking for trouble. I've said this time and time again. Uh, look, former Patriots general manager, Upton Bell, his father was Burt Bell, who was the NFL commissioner for 14 years. Back in the uh, late 40s, his father uncovered a betting scandal the night before the NFL championship game. And he said if he hadn't stopped it, you wouldn't have the NFL you have today. And he said all the leagues are selling out for money. That's what this is all about. He said in the old days, you couldn't even mention a point spread uh, on any NFL network game. People would lose their minds. Faye Vincent, Commissioner of Baseball. He says, Gambling's a major menace. Anybody with a brain knows that money attracts corruption. 100% correct. 100%. And he said, The idea that we can keep corporate executives from cheating is not accurate. We can't do it. People are always going to try to take advantage. 100% true. And now the value of franchises is being based on how much money people are going to make from gambling. And yet the federal government is so busy sniping each other, the Republicans and Democrats trying to screw each other, that all this stuff is happening and nobody is paying attention. And look, I am not, well, I'm not a prude, okay? I am not. I am not one of these people I mean as much as I know it sounds like it I wish oh the old days were the best. I'm not saying that. I understand that times change. But when you have made it easy for people to lose their money and I'm talking great amounts of money, you know, this is this is worse than people going to the corner store and getting a scratch off ticket. It is way worse than that because now you can do it from your phone, from your couch, and there's nothing to stop you except whatever money is in your bank account, and it is very easy for you to drain that bank account out. Am I saying we need to protect people from themselves? Yep, I am. And look, I have a lot of people that listen to this show that, that gamble. I have people that come on this show that love to gamble. And I'm not saying that, and I'd like to think that the people that do that are responsible, and if if you're responsible, great. My concern is the corruption that it can breed. How long is it going to take before somebody, uh, you know, some uh, young kid playing in college, doesn't have access to a lot of money, probably isn't going to have a pro career, but has an opportunity to do a couple of things in a game that could change the way the game, the outcome, or change the point spread, and all of a sudden – You know, they get offered money to do that. How long is it going to take before that happens? It's happened before, several times. There have been some very high-profile scandals, one of them in Boston. How long is that going to take? How long is it going to take before, you know, know, some position player in the NFL – who is a fringe player but, uh, you know, plays on special teams or plays, you know, in certain situations, is offered money to, I, right, well, just miss that block or, hey, you know, if you're a long snapper, just snap the ball over the punter's head or how long is it going to take? And maybe I'm being overly cynical here, but I don't think so. So Dan Shaughnessy hit it right on the head, and, and uh, I'm not sure that the genie can ever be put back in the bottle at this point. But just like we did in the media when we stopped cigarette smoking ads from being put on television. Right? Uh, You know, we used to, when I was a kid, you know, there were commercials for different brands of cigarettes everywhere. Well, that's been outlawed. And maybe what we need to do is start thinking about banning gambling ads from television and radio so that we don't feed into yet another addiction just like cigarette smoking or any other drug is and 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 alcohol make no mistake folks gambling is a drug it it, it, it the dopamine that that it builds up in your brain of the excitement it is a drug so maybe we need to look at that down the road because we can't stop gambling. It's too late now. But what we can do is we can stop with the constant reminders of, hey, just grab this app and go make a bet. 27 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. Back in a minute, you're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 29 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake up call here on a Tuesday morning. I promise I'm not grumpy this morning. I'm really not. Um but when I read that article from Dan Shonesty this morning, it was honest to God it was as if he had uh read my mind. And uh, which is a scary place to be, by the way. Um so uh last night um in between watching The Voice with my wife, I had the I had the computer going while we were watching uh The Voice. Uh, my wife and I love, just love watching uh, those singing competitions, The Voice in American Idol. We just that's we consume those things. But um, I had the uh, uh, the World Baseball Classic game streaming on my computer, and then of course I had the Yukon uh, women's basketball game streaming on my computer when that happened. So I mean, I was you know, <laughs> my wife was like, "How can you watch one thing and pay attention?" It's just you know, I don't know either, but I do. So anyway, while uh, The Voice was on, I was watching the World Baseball Classic final between Japan and Mexico that started at 7 o'clock. Which, by the way, I love starting games at 7 o'clock. Because I was really afraid. And tonight's championship game, by the way, is going to be at 7 o'clock on Fox. I was really afraid they were going to make a 9 o'clock start and uh, force me to be up late, but they didn't. Um, And for most of the game last night, it looked like Mexico was going to stun everyone and reach the final game. They led 3-0 in this game for most of it. Well, not most of it. It The, the first four innings were scoreless, and um, uh, Luis Arias uh, with a three-run home run in the fourth inning that put Mexico up 3-0, and then that held... Until the seventh. Until Masataka Yoshida, who is going to be a member of the Boston Red Sox this season, hit a bomb off of reliever Jojo Romero to tie the game at three. I mean, this thing was a no-doubter. And uh, then Mexico comes back. In the eighth inning, they score two runs. They take a 5 3 lead. You're thinking, well, okay, they survived the scare. They're going to be okay. And then Japan scores one in the uh, bottom of the eighth to make it 5 4. And so Mexico can't score in the top of the ninth. They bring in uh, Giovanni Gallegos, their closer, who I think in his previous starts or his previous relief appearances had allowed a grand total of two base runners. Comes in last night and can't get outs. He gives off a leadoff double to Shohei Otane. Then a walk. And then a long shot off the wall by Murakami. A two-run double gives Japan the 6-5 lead. And again, another incredible finish to the World Baseball Classic. And now to beat Japan and the United States for the WBC title tonight in Miami at 7 o'clock. I mean, look, uh, Mexico, you got to give them a lot of credit. This is a team that had trouble in the previous WBCs even advancing out of the first round. They got knocked out in the second round of 2006 and 2009, and then in 2013 and 2017 didn't even get past the first round. And Randy Arena, what? Look, we already knew what a good player he was playing for the Tampa Bay Rays. Guy who was a Rookie of the Year. I mean, just uh, uh, a great player. Well, he took things to another level in this one, uh, in this WBC, hitting big home runs. Last night, he jumps an eight and a half foot wall to rob a home run. Uh, Makes another great play out in left field. And then between innings, he's standing out there and he's signing autographs, right? You wouldn't see that in a regular season game. Signing autographs. Pre-game, he's out there in boots, cowboy boots and a sombrero. Shagging flies in the outfield. Just showed so much personality. Just cool you just uh, the atmosphere in this WBC has been amazing. They have had over a million fans double the amount that they have ever had in a WBC. This thing has taken on a life of its own. Uh, you know I'm not going to go so far as to say this is the World Cup of baseball, but it has that kind of potential if they can continue to make it grow this way and for Mexico, Benji Gill, who was the manager for Mexico, says, you know, I don't know if these players are aware what they've done here. You know, he said, look, uh, you know, he says, you know, in the U.S., he, said, I, he says, I hope that baseball grows, but it's not going to grow that. How much more can it grow? Same thing in Japan. How much more can it grow in Japan? It's already huge there. He said, but in Mexico, he said, after this WBC and what we did, there's going to be a radical change. He said, I don't know whether it's going to be tomorrow, a week, a month, and a year. He said, but baseball is going to start to grow, and it will become the most important game to us again. Because soccer has kind of overtaken that in Mexico. But baseball was huge in Mexico, and he thinks that Benji Gill thinks that this is something that can make it even bigger. Look what's happened in Great Britain. People are bananas. Great Britain's already qualified for the next WBC. People are bananas for American baseball. In Great Britain, so it can help grow the game. There is no question about that, and it's fun. And I, you know, I said last night on Twitter, um, is there any, is there anybody else that feels like the start of the regular season is going to be anticlimactic? You know what I mean? Uh, so (laughs) it's, it's true. You know, I mean, I'm looking forward to the regular season as much as the next guy, but the, to have meaningful baseball in March like this, to, to get excited about baseball in March, it's unheard of. It's great. So, now with Japan and the United States tonight, we have a potential matchup tonight, which could be a lot of fun if we see it. I don't know that we will, but Mike Trout has always kind of talked about what it would be like to face his teammate, Shohei Otani. But Otani is not going to get the start tonight for Japan. Uh, He started two games ago. And uh, unless he comes in in relief, Mike Trout won't face him. Um, He started... uh, March sixteenth he technically could start tonight uh or but uh they're not going to they're going to start him as the designated hitter and uh you know we'll see how the game goes and then they'll make that decision but otani's hitting four fifty in this this w b c the guy who has been the biggest star of course is the red sox uh property Yoshida I think he's got nine hits. I think he's driven in 18 runs, which is a uh, WBC record. Just so much fun. So much fun. I, so I can't wait for the game tonight. It should be great. Um, and, you know, people, there are, again, we've talked about the naysayers about how, eh, you know, we shouldn't have it. Look what happened to, you know, Atuve and Diaz. We've talked about it ad nauseum. I get it. Joe Kelly yesterday former Sox hurler, former Dodger hurler, now with the Chicago White Sox, a guy who just doesn't, has no filter, just doesn't care, said, look, uh, the guy got hurt having fun celebrating with teammates. And he said this. He was on a a, a podcast called Baseball Isn't Boring. And he said, who gives a shit? (laughs) He says, it's unfortunate. He said, but it is what it is. He said, I could get hurt right now driving home, get paralyzed, break my neck in a car accident. It doesn't matter. People are always going to come up with a reason why something shouldn't happen. How about the reasons why it should? You know, if you have an excuse like saying, oh, he shouldn't have played, and (laughs) Kelly goes, shut up, dude. Just shut your mouth. It doesn't matter. That's not why he got hurt. It could have happened. In one of the playoff games, it could have happened on opening day, jumping up uh, on opening day when they get a win. If that cartilage was weak, it could have ripped anyway. And then he pointed out about all of what he called stupid injuries that occur in spring training every year. You know, look what happened to Gavin Lux, a, fr- a freak thing when he was sliding into second base, and he's out for the year for the Dodgers. Brandon Nimmo. You know, and you have people that are teammates of Nimmo's and Diaz. Like Pete Alonso and Jeff, Jeff McNeil, Mookie Betts, Mike Trout, all saying, hey, look, this can happen in anywhere. And he said, uh, and, and Joe Kelly said, look, I think the World Baseball Classic is great for baseball, and you want every stu- superstar playing in as much as you can. He said, but injuries happen everywhere. 100% right. Now, one of the other things that people have talked about is maybe moving the game to the middle of the year so that everybody would want to play. Kind of what they do by they shut down some of the other leagues while the World Cup is going on. Um, I wouldn't mind that, I guess. But I also, there's there's something to be said for um, having fun in March. You know, spring training can be a grind. We're ready for the regular season to start. To have something fun like this to get excited about, it's awesome. Awesome. So I'm looking forward to the game tonight. And uh, USA trying to win its second WBC. Japan has already won two. So uh, they would become uh, uh, tied for the most wins in WBC history if the United States can pull it out. Merrill Kelly is going to get the start. The Arizona Diamondbacks hurler will get the start in the game tonight for Team USA. And the good news is for Team USA, they've got all their relievers all lined up to pitch tomorrow. Uh, they all had uh, that 14-2 to blowout against Cuba. They didn't have to use any of their high-leverage relievers, so they will have them all available tonight. So if it's a close game, uh, I would say it's probably going to be advantage Team USA tonight. Uh, and then in women's basketball yesterday, I mentioned the uh, loss by Indiana. They lose to the Miami Hurricanes 70-68. to Miami wins it on the road. They won it on Indiana's home court. And it's its first Sweet 16 trip for Miami since 1992. So we now have two number one seeds out of the women's tournament. The first time that two top seeds have been eliminated before the regional semifinals since 1998. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Place was packed, 14,000 people. Destiny Harden with a three-pointer with 6.6 seconds left to win the game. So, actually, no, it was a two-pointer. I'm sorry. Good for them. Again, you know, an unlikely team going through, and now they're – Reward for that will be to take on Villanova, who was ranked number 10 in the final AP Top 25 poll out of the Big East. A team uh, with Maddie Segrist, the leading scorer in women's college basketball this season. But good for them. I mean, look, they just wanted to get there, right? And then UConn last night. People thought that this might be a dangerous game for UConn. And for the first half... um It looked like they were right. Uh, UConn ends up leading by five at the half, and the only reason it was five was uh, Nika Mule chucked one in from just inside uh, half court at the buzzer to give UConn a five point lead instead of a two point lead. But then UConn came out in the second half and just took over. I mean, just, it was an AZ FUD show in the third quarter. Look, AZ, we know how much time she missed this year with the knee injuries, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think she had averaged about 7.5 points since coming back. Well, she put up 22 last night. She, 16 of those, 16 of those 22 were in the third quarter. She outscored Baylor by herself in the third quarter, 16-15, to 15, UConn with a double-digit lead going into the fourth quarter, uh, and they end up winning it easily. 77 to 58. Yukon is now going to its 29th straight Sweet 16. <laughs> 29 straight. Uh Aaliyah Edwards, another big game last night. They couldn't stop her inside. Now she picked up some foul trouble, had to sit most of the third quarter with four fouls. But perhaps the biggest unsung hero of the game last night for UConn was Aubrey Griffin. Um she only scored four points in the game, but she had twelve rebounds, six of them on the offensive uh, side. Two of those in one sequence, in that ended with uh, UConn banging home a three. This this young lady can jump through the roof. So you know, and with Edwards on the bench, they needed that from her, and uh, she put up a big one. So now UConn will take on Ohio State. Ohio State beat number six, University of North Carolina yesterday, 71-69. to uh, J.C. Sheldon with a jump shot with 1.8 seconds left to give Ohio State the victory. Ohio State had a 12-point lead in this game early in the fourth quarter. But then North Carolina went on a 13-2 to run midway through the quarter. Um... And that was without their best player. Deja Kelly um, had to leave midway through the quarter with a leg injury. She ended up coming back out, but uh, she was gone for a few minutes. Uh, But they did a great job without her, got themselves back in the game. Uh, Kelly actually finished with 22 points, and she had a shot uh, to tie the game at 69 with nine seconds left. But then J.C. Sheldon takes care of business, and Ohio State moves on. Ohio State has had to make comebacks in all four of its postseason victories. Um, they were down 24 in the Big Ten tournament in one game, came back to win. Uh, and then uh, in their other victories in the Big Ten and in the NCAA tournament all had to come from behind. So it'll be UConn and Ohio State for a chance to go to – the Elite Eight. Uh, Of course, with those two top seeds, Stanford and Indiana out, we still have uh, South Carolina, the number one overall seed. They are going to take on number four, UCLA. It'll be Maryland against Notre Dame. Those games will be played in Greenville. And then also in Greenville on the next day, it'll be Villanova and Miami. And then LSU um, will take on Utah. Utah in the Sweet 16 for the first time since 2006. And then, of course, uh, UConn will be going out to Seattle where they will take on Ohio State. Uh, Virginia Tech, the other remaining top seed, will take on Tennessee, and then the winner of those two will play each other. So what would be really cool is if Virginia Tech loses and UConn wins, and we have another UConn-Tennessee battle, uh, one for the ages. It's a team. Those two teams always seem to meet in the NCAA tournament. It is 47 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We'll get to some baseball, uh, spring training baseball, in a minute. You're listening to the wake up call on Sports Country. It is 49 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake up call on a Tuesday morning. Uh, the Red Sox lose in spring training yesterday to the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. Again, who cares? The good news is yesterday, Justin Turner back in the lineup for the first time since getting hit by a pitch in the face. Back on March sixth, went one for two with a walk. Said he felt good. Um, he said he t- he got in there, took the first pitch, and he said it was kind of like a uh, sigh of relief. And he was kind of he said he was ready to go after that. Uh, Red Sox sloppy yesterday. Three errors in the game. Uh, that's the kind of stuff you don't like to see. Um, missed playing some balls in the outfield. Kike uh, Hernandez back from the World Baseball Classic. Back at shortstop with a throwing error yesterday. Uh, the good news is that uh, Garrett Whitlock threw three innings, looked pretty good, threw 95 on the gun. He did allow two earned runs over those three innings. He struck out three, walked one. Uh, but again, the uh, the misplays behind him. Um, so that you know, you don't read too much into that. What the good news was is he said that uh, uh, he feels like his fastballs and his changeups are working really good. Still working on that slider. Um, Alex Cora said, based on where Whitlock is at right now, it is likely he will miss just one turn in the rotation. So um, he's had the two and three inning outings, and they want him to go four and five. He'll get one more start in spring training. Then he will get one more start in the minors uh, before they consider bringing him up. Brian Bayo, who worked... Uh, for the first time the other day, they want him to pitch at least five times before they consider bringing him up. So he's probably going to be two or three turns in the rotation behind as he will go down into the minors to work. But the good news is both guys seem to be healthy. Um, and, uh, you know, the Red Sox need to tighten up the defense, but that's been a problem all along. Uh, they announced that uh, Joely Rodriguez, uh, who had to leave the game the other day, uh, the MRI re- revealed a, a right oblique strain and uh, he's going to be out for a little while. Um, I, I, an oblique strain is essentially a pulled muscle on your side. Uh, I've done that. Matter of fact, I have one right now. At, at, at almost 63 years old, I've got one that I've been dealing with for the better part of, well, probably a couple of years. Because every time it starts to get better... I do something to pull it again. And that's the thing. If, you know, that's one of those injuries, you've got to really take care of yourself. I'm not a pro athlete, nor do I play one on television. Um, uh, you know, but it seems like every time it starts to feel better, I'll go out here and work in a garden or, you know, like I was putting a shingling a roof on my chicken coop yesterday, and it's like, oh, it's killing me. But that's probably just old age. But anyway, so uh, Rodriguez is going to be out for a little while. That probably opens up a spot uh, for Ryan Sheriff, who the uh, – uh the Red Sox signed away from the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh he logged another scoreless inning, so it is a good there is a good chance that he will be the guy that will take uh Rodriguez's place in the bullpen. Uh Corey Kluber threw in a minor league game yesterday. How about this? He threw six innings, uh allowed one run, struck out seven, but he threw eighty four pitches, seventy three of them for strikes. Eighty seven percent of his pitches were for strikes. So uh, it looks like Kluber's ready. But Kluber's one of those guys that always pitches to contact. Sometimes he probably probably a little bit too much and, uh, and lets guys hit the ball and, and hopes his defense can do the job behind him. And the way the Red Sox played defense last year and in that spring training game uh, yesterday, that's got to scare you a little bit. Uh, a couple other quick notes before we get out of here. Rick Petino, who coached at uh, Iona this year, uh, played UConn in the first round of the NCAA men's basketball tournament, Uh, Patino got hired yesterday by St. John's to become their new coach. He is back in the Big East. Of course, he coached Providence um, a number of years ago and uh, did a hell of a job building up that Iona program, no question about it. He's 70 years old, and uh, this is a guy that's been to seven Final Fours, has won a pair of NCAA championships, one in Kentucky, one in Louisville. I mean, he's been around, but this is a guy that can flat-out coach. Um, Look, you know— He's had some scandals in the past. You know, he had to leave one of his jobs because of some NCAA investigations, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But uh, uh, he can coach. And it seems like he has uh, – whatever happened uh, in the past, it seems like he has cleaned it up. When he was at Louisville in 2017, there was an FBI investigation into college basketball corruption – Uh, Not just at Louisville, all over the place. And uh, Louisville and Patino's coaching staff got uh, implicated in that. Um, And and that was like the third time that he had had some problems while he was there. So uh, he was eventually exonerated in the FBI case, but uh, uh, ended up leaving Louisville and going to Iona where he's done a great job. The other news out of the Big East, Ed Cooley is leaving Providence. This had to be a tough decision for Cooley. Cooley is a a Providence guy. He's from Providence. Finally had a job with his hometown team, did a great job, led the Friars to a record of 242 and 153 in 12 years, seven appearances in the NCAA tournament, three wins there. Um, They made the Sweet 16 back in 2022. They were 21 and 12 this year. Um, A guy who was at Fairfield University when I was at Sacred Heart, classy guy. And uh, he is going to Georgetown. He is going to replace Patrick Ewing at Georgetown. Um, he's 53 years old, and uh, uh, Patrick Ewing went uh, 75 and 109 in six years, 13 and 50 in the last two. So they had to make a change. Uh, Ed Cooley's daughter actually goes to college at Georgetown, so that's kind of a a natural for him. And uh, Georgetown is getting a good one. He is a good coach, and he's even a better person. Uh, so uh, congratulations to Ed Cooley. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of The Wake Up Call. Here's some music from Zach Brown on the way out. It's called The Bar. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.